But here's the difference. Most people listening to this right now, around 11 o'clock, you're saying, man, what are we going to have for lunch? What is that going to be? And you're like thinking about it. Like there's a pull. When you turn off hunger the way I'm talking about, especially after you've done it for a week or two, lunch feels like this. Oh, it's noon. I guess I could eat. But if I didn't eat, I'd be fine. I could go a couple more hours. It's not that big of a deal. And then you eat because it fits. That's what hunger is. The other stuff is actually a craving. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everybody, Nick Nansen here. Welcome back to Now to Next. I'm excited to have a good discussion with a a good friend that I've been fishing with multiple times in Alaska, and we spent uh, quite a bit of time together. We are going to be talking about his new book today, Fast This Way, a really uh, unique topic. I've heard a lot of buzz about it, but never personally dug into fasting. What is it? Why is it? And we'll dig into that today. But I'm going to give you a brief bio of uh, my friend Dave Asprey. So Dave is the father of biohacking and CEO and founder of Bulletproof 360. He is a two-time New York Times bestselling author of five books, host of the Webby Award-winning podcast Bulletproof Radio, and the creator of the global phenomenon Bulletproof Coffee and the Bulletproof Diet, which no doubt you've had some version of Dave's invention of uh, coffee with butter in it, uh, whether he got the credit or not. Uh, Through the Bulletproof Diet, uh, countless biological experiments and simple life hacks, Dave has maintained a 100-pound weight loss, upgraded his brain, and transformed himself into a happy and gratitude-filled husband, father, writer, executive, and human being. With over 200 million downloads, I said that right, 200 million of his Bulletproof Radio podcast, millions of monthly unique visitors to his blog, and the Bulletproof 360 products in millions of households worldwide, Dave has created a movement that shows us the power of intention and the incredible capacity of the human body. He has spent the past two and a half decades traveling the planet from Tibet to the Andes, discovering and engineering ways to maximize physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Dave shares his journey of self-discovery as an example that can lead you towards unlocking your full birthright potential. And his latest book, Fast This Way, continues that journey. Dave, welcome, and what did I get wrong? Well, you said only two New York Times bestsellers. It's four. Oh, see? I mean, that, there we go. We're that's like me forgetting how many, other, how many <laughs> Emmys you've got. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Well, even better. Uh, a lot to talk about. I want to talk about fasting. You have a new book out called Fastest Way. Everyone should buy it, share it with your friends and family. Before we get to the actual you know, science and the data and all the things you do behind fasting, I'd love for people to know a little bit about your journey. Um, you got you didn't know you were sick. You got sick when there was a bunch of mold in your family's house. I think this is super interesting because there's probably, I don't know, millions of people out there walking around not knowing that they're, that they're working against something that they don't even know is happening yeah. in their body. So tell us a bit about that. So I grew up in a, in a nice house in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but the basement had been flooded, which is common in deserts because when there's water, there's a lot of water, flash floods and whatever. So I had all kinds of weird health problems as a kid, but there's, oh, maybe you have allergies. You know, maybe there's something going on. I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was 14 in my knees. I'm like, isn't that what you're supposed to get when you're 50? And I had just rashes and asthma and, and cognitive dysfunction, behavioral issues, OCD. All of those can be tied to toxic mold in a home. 
So this set me up biologically for not a good start. I was on antibiotics for 15 years because of chronic strep throat. And I actually did a documentary called Moldy Movie. It's free, moldymovie.com. And I regret not hiring you to do that for me, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> no, that would have been really cool. Um, I don't know that I knew you when I did that documentary. But it was, uh, and it, it's a free thing because a lot of people don't know that it makes a big difference. It's one of the many environmental variables that you can control. You think about it, every day your body combines about 30 pounds of air and some amount of food or body fat, and it makes electricity from it. And that's what powers your thoughts and your breaths and everything you do, everything you think. Well, if what you're getting from your air is full of basically antibiotics that mess with the little bacteria that make power in your body, it's no wonder that I was having some issues. In fact, given that right now, half of people under age 40 have a problem making electrons, and everyone over age 40 has a problem making electrons, we call it aging, <laughs> this is something that's hackable. And when I wrote The Bulletproof Diet, which has helped people lose a million pounds and counting so far, uh, I touched on intermittent fasting, uh, ketosis, but done in a cyclical way, avoiding bad fats like omega-6s, and avoiding plant toxins. And all of those in the last 10 years have become like their own little camps in health and wellness. And I've seen this thing happen in keto that really drives me nuts, where people say, oh, I felt really good when I did a keto diet for a week, therefore I'm never eating a carb again. And then two months later, especially women, they hit the wall first. Like, something's not right. My cycle's off. I don't sleep very well. My hair's thinning. And guys, it takes them another two to four weeks. And like, oh, my sleep went away. And then my morning kickstand went away. And now my hair is thinning. My like, guys, just because something is good doesn't mean you need to do only that forever. And I see us going down the same path of fasting. I feel so great when I learn how to intermittent fast. I'm going to do it every day for the rest of my life. And then you hit a wall. So I wrote this book for two big reasons, as fast as way one was to zoom in and to prevent the overfasting problem, but also to let people know men and women are not the same. <laughs> There's a chapter based on studies just on women, and it turns out women are not small men, especially <laughs> biologically. I mean, who would have ever thought? I, I had no idea, right? And there's just so much knowledge here. And then there's a whole spiritual side of fasting. And I see these poor people going, well, I've never fasted before. I believe because mice did it that I can only have water during a fast. Um, therefore, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have kids bouncing around the house. I'm going to try and focus on my job. It's a high-stress time. I'm going to add stress by only having water during my fast. And then they have a terrible experience. They never want to do it again. And they say it doesn't work. But there's there's ways to fast without feeling pain. And when you do this right, it's the highest return on investment thing anyone can do. So I'm like, all right, of all the things I could write about, fasting is the hardest. It's, it seems like a bad idea. Why would I want to not eat? Like it's the hardest thing you could ever sell. But when you look at the idea of, of like if you walked into a bank and you don't have an account there, but like, oh, hey, here's some money. And you're like, I didn't have to make a deposit. Like, oh, no. And we'll give you interest on that money later. Oh, and then come back in a year and we'll give you more interest. And you're like, this is the best deal ever. But you didn't spend money, time, or energy on breakfast. <laughs> so you had more energy that morning, not less. You didn't think about food as much. And then later you don't get insulin resistance and diabetes and all that. Where did you lose? Like, There's no losing with fasting. It's, it's epic. And that's why I want to write a book about it. Uh, very cool. So when... When what was your first experience with the fasting? But by the way, the the thing I love what you talked about there. I I use an analogy all the time when people learn of something new. They usually is step one is disbelief. When they realize it works, they like 
everything cold turkey. That's they do it a hundred percent, and then they realize they're a miserable human being, and then they figure out some sort of some way of integrating the healthy aspects of it into what works for their you know their personality, their lifestyle, whatever else. But we have this imitation stage, which is what screws everyone. Right? It's like oh, yeah. it worked for. I don't know this guy. So I'm gonna do it exactly that way. But yeah. So what was your? I mean, you've hacked your body. You've done many things that I would not recommend people do with or to their bodies. Uh, all in the name of hacking a better human, so I can learn from you and not have to do it. Like, you know, what what was your first experience with fasting, and was it nuts or was it good? Well, I remember when I was about 26, I had just made six million dollars um, as a a co-founder of a part of the company that held Google's first servers when Google was two guys in a server and Facebook was the Facebook. And <clears throat> I've been struggling with my weight for years. My energy was off. I was having brain fog and I was actually afraid. I bought disability insurance. I'm like, I don't know if I can keep working because I have the pedal all the way to the floor and I'm slowing down and I don't know what else to do, but I, I'm exercising all the time. I do everything I can and nothing works. So someone said, hey, Dave, you should try skipping breakfast or try fasting. And this was unheard of in the late 90s. And I was horribly offended, Nick. I, I was like, are you kidding? If I don't eat six times a day, my body will go into starvation mode, right? And then I'll get fatter because I know I read it in Reader's Digest. It must be true. But then the real thing was I know that I will get hypoglybitchy. Right? So I'm going to act like an even bigger jerk if I don't eat. So it's like, I'm going to eat every couple hours, especially during the day to keep my energy up. And I, I had believed this was healthy. And I believed if I didn't do it, that I would totally devolve into um, an angry person, which was actually real. And so that was my first experience with fasting where I was like, F that I'm not going to do it because it's a bad idea. And you fast forward and I'd read the research, I'd done a lot of stuff. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm open to this, but I also knew that I'd probably act like a jerk. So this is right before I started writing Bulletproof, right before I put together the Bulletproof Diet. I hired a shaman to bring me to the desert, put me in a cave where there's no people and no food for anywhere around me, and I just spend four days. Then I can completely lose it, and all I'm going to do is yell at you know the, the lizards. You know? <laughs> um, but I wanted to face um, being alone, because a lot of people eat when they're lonely. I wanted to face being hypoglybitchy all by myself. And... I wanted to kind of show my body, look, I know that I'm not going to starve to death for probably two or three months. And some people can go a lot longer than that. And as fat as I was, probably could have gone longer. Um, so it was it was a scary thing, uh, to be perfectly honest, um, both the loneliness and the, the isolation and the lack of food. Um, but I did it because I was like, I got I to gotta face this down. I don't want it running me. And that's the context. And that's the story that I'm telling throughout the book, uh, where it's um, it's a it's a really personal story, and and there's a side of fasting that's mostly in your head. Um, so that was my first real experience with a four day fast was just going all in on it. And I talk about the psychology, even the spiritual stuff, as well as the biology throughout the book. The reality though is that fasting it's it just means going without, but it doesn't mean going without all food. It you, you can fast from social media. You can fast from heat. It's called cold therapy. <laughs> That's a brief fast. But I mean, you can do all sorts of things. And what's happening is the body thinks it needs something. And then if it doesn't get it, you get super stressed and you tweak. But the reality is that the body doesn't need it. So it's like training your dog to sit when it wants to jump up and down. And you can do this with the systems in your body that you feel like you don't have control over. In fact, you feel like they control you. And it's incredibly liberating. 
One of the studies in Fast This Way says that the average person spends 15% of their daily thoughts thinking about what's for their next meal. Now, if you could do something during a fast that turned off your hunger voice, you would get 15% better mental performance that day. You have more thoughts. It's actually greater than 15% if you do the math reverse-wise. But basically, you get a massive cognitive upgrade just from that. So then how do you take something that sounds painful and unattractive and then show people you can do it? And as an example, I had 30,000 people join me this week on my fasting training and challenge. This is a free thing I'm doing. I'll teach you my book because I just want you to read it because I think it's going to make you a higher performance, nicer human (laughs) when we can banish hypoglybitchy from our vocabulary, at least from our life. And um, so of that, the comments that I've I've gotten just recently um, are, I didn't think I could go 24 hours without food, but I did it and I feel better than I have in years. This is why it's worth writing a book about it. And by the way, if you go to fastthisway.com, you can sign up and do the two-week thing where I teach you all the fasting hacks. Like, I'm not trying to sell anything. I just want people to have the knowledge because it matters. Very good. Uh, So, yeah, again, make sure you get the book Fastest Way. Uh, Dave's sharing lots of knowledge bombs, but this is something that will help. Uh, That's why he wrote the book. It will help many people. Now, Dave, one of the things I thought was really interesting, too, you bring up in the book is that, um, first of all, yeah, fasting is just going without for a bit. Um, You say that every major religion has some form of fasting, which I think is fascinating as well, which we can cover in a second. But also, it sounds like you know when you start talking about like your body tweaking and stuff, I mean, it, it, it very much sounds like an, an addictive response to me, like the response of an addict. Is, is it, are we addicted to our food, our routines? Like what's the parallel there? There are some foods that are addictive. And one of the gifts of learning how to do intermittent fasting, I'm not talking about going days without food the way I did. I'm talking about going 16 hours without food, which is really easy because you're asleep most of that time anyway. Right. <laughs> it's not as big of a challenge as it sounds. How many days in a row should you do that, by the way? It really depends on how healthy you are, whether you're a man or a woman, how much weight you want to lose. And for women, I recommend if you've got a lot of weight to lose um, or you're just getting started or you have cycle irregularities, um, you might want to just start out with three days a week, maybe four days a week and work your way up to five. And there are studies that show that that's very effective. And you might say, I feel so good, I'm going to do five. But it's very tempting to say, okay, I started out doing a 14-hour fast three days a week, and I felt really good. So I went up to 16-hour fasting three days a week, and then I did it five days a week. And now I'm never going to have breakfast again. Right. Right? In fact, I'm only going to have dinner for the rest of my life. That's not going to work. And the idea is that fasting is meant to be flexible and intuitive, where, you know what? I'm menstruating. Maybe now is not the time to fast. I had a heavy workout yesterday. Now is not the time to fast. My, you know, my girlfriend just broke up with me. Dude, have some breakfast. Don't have Pop-Tarts. Have the right foods. And what you learn is that when you eat certain foods, they make you hungry and your fast is almost unbearable. And when you eat other foods, you're completely not hungry. And having a sense of your actual hunger versus a craving is a big thing. So for a lot of people, gluten and dairy protein uh, especially milk protein isolate, which a lot of keto brands like, oh, I'll put that in coffee or put that in a muffin or whatever. That actually drives hunger for people. So what you choose before your fast says, will I sail through the fast or will I not? Uh, one of my favorite examples, and, and there's five big classes of foods that I talk about as likely to cause cravings for you in the book, um, but one of them is kale. 
Have you ever had like a big kale salad and be like, I'm so full I couldn't eat for hours? No. Uh, no. Has anyone ever? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's because kale is full of toxins and your body freaks out. It's like, could I have some sugar already so I can help to get rid of these things? You just like whacked me in the face with a piece of kale. I live on a small farm. We have sheep and pigs and chickens. Chickens can eat kale because they'll eat almost anything. Even the pigs spit out kale. <laughs> uh, and, and goats won't eat it. Horses won't eat it. They're pretty <laughs> smart, those animals. It's because kale has this, this anti-nutrient in it called oxalic acid. I even I went on Joe Rogan's show when he was into kale smoothies. I'm like, Joe, this is going to cause problems. Or you got to stop this, man. Six years later, he just had an episode where he's like, yeah, okay, I had to quit the kale. Too much oxalic acid. You know, it took him a while. But it builds up. It makes kidney stones. It causes joint pain. It causes brain fog. And it causes sugar cravings. So people don't know it. And like, I'm going to eat this healthy thing. And then they're just dragging. And then, of course, their body wants sugar. So the idea of this is fasting teaches you, wow, what did my last meal do to me? And it's pretty amazing. You you learn, hmm, these foods that I thought were good for me are not compatible with my biology. And I need to dial back on those. And when you do it, suddenly you have more power. And that's what fasting is about. It's about having raw, just more raw energy to be yourself. So when you you also said like a lot of people fast and they only have water, which was would have been my guess, of course, before the book. Like what – tell people if you're going to do a 16-hour fast, you're going to try it for one day, like – what does that look like and and when should you eat? Maybe what would be a good idea to eat like the day before that's worked at least for you? I, I'm sure it's different for other people. There's probably some pretty good standards, not pop tarts. And then like what what can you have during that fast? what what would be what would qualify during the fast or, or just nothing? All right. There's a group of people um, who I like to call them the hair shirt fasters. And a hair shirt is something that a sect of monks used to make in like the 14th century. They would weave a shirt out of human hair and they would wear it because it was extra itchy and uncomfortable because suffering has merit. And if you could suffer more, it would mean that you were a better person. Um, I do not believe in that. And a water only fast is meant to come with rest, reflection, meditation, caves, medical settings, and things like that. There's nothing wrong with doing a water-only intermittent fast. It's just if you're not used to it, it is going to make you feel crappy, and it's going to give you that hangry feeling. And most people are too busy and too stressed to deal with that. So what could you do during a fast? How do we know we're still fasting? What you can eat during a fast must not raise your insulin, and it must not turn off a process called autophagy, which is the reason you're fasting in the first place. Autophagy is when all the digestive mechanisms of the body that usually are working on food they have no food to work on, so the body goes, hmm, maybe I could clean up some of this debris in my cells. Maybe I can take out the old cells and build young ones. So the energy of breaking stuff down goes to break down the stuff that's making you old. If you eat carbohydrates, especially sugar, or you eat protein, it elevates a compound called mTOR that takes you out of autophagy, or it raises insulin. So basically, you avoid those two things, and that means you can have some fat during a fast, and you stay in a fasted state, but it matters which kind of fat. So there's three big hacks in fast this way. And the three the three fasting hacks are black coffee. Now mice don't get black coffee in most studies because they don't have espresso machines, but it's better to fast with black coffee than not. If you don't believe me, just do a search for coffee health online, <laughs> or coffee in any medical condition you can think of. Coffee is a superfood that just runs circles around kale. and 
Now we're talking reductions in all-cause mortality of people who drink a couple cups of coffee a day. One thing coffee does is it suppresses hunger and it raises, it actually doubles the amount of ketones your body will naturally make during a fast. Ketones turn off hunger and give your brain more energy. The reason the sages fasted in caves was that after about two and a half days of fasting, your brain snaps into this hyperdrive mode, which is when it starts burning fat instead of sugar because fat has more energy. It's called calories. Fat is higher calorie than carbs. You wanted those calories to go right into your brain. So it's a, a very powerful thing you can do that in the morning. Second thing you do, I'm pretty famous for it, is Bulletproof coffee. I'm not trying to get people to drink more Bulletproof coffee. I'm just saying that on the Bulletproof diet, people have lost more than a million pounds doing intermittent fasting with Bulletproof coffee in the morning. The reason it works is that butter changes the chemistry of the water in the coffee so you can more easily use the water to make energy. And the MCT oil that's an ingredient in Bulletproof coffee quadruples ketone production. And when you do that, all of a sudden, when ketones go up, your hunger hormone called C or hunger hormone called uh, ghrelin goes down, and the fullness hormone called CCK, which is a Calvin Klein hormone, goes up. And when you when you get that, you're like, wait a minute, I drank this coffee with a, a small amount of butter, it doesn't have to be a lot, and some MCT oil, and I drink it, and all of a sudden, like, I don't think about food anymore. The voice in my head is gone. Tacos are not front of mind. People put donuts in front of me, and instead of using my willpower, I'm like, I'm just not hungry. I couldn't eat a donut if I wanted to. That's how to fast. Like, that's awesome. And then the third thing that no one's ever written about in the world of fasting is prebiotic fiber. This is fiber that you can't digest that feeds the good gut bacteria in your gut. You put those three things in your body in the morning, and you can put them all in a coffee if you want to, or you can have them however you want to do it. Man, you have no thoughts about food. You stay down autophagy, and you build a flexible metabolism. You do this over time. After a few months, you're like, I could do it on black coffee. I could do it on water. But you actually change your metabolism, but you did it without suffering, without hunger, and the feedback from people is amazing because instead of struggling, they're just kind of cruising through a fast. This is all great info. So it, so let's talk about it for a second. Um, you've already talked about some of it, but I think it's just, I love the way it's articulated in the book. Like what is fasting and what is it not? Because I think there's a lot, there's even more myths between, I mean, we talked about sort of a basic one, like basically put nothing or nothing other than water in your body, but, but what is fasting and what is it not? Well, there are people saying I'm going on a juice fast. I'm like, you're having a ton of sugar. You're like drinking fruit juice and maple syrup all day long. Technically, it is a fast. It's just not a fast that turns on autophagy or has those metabolic benefits, but you're fasting from anything but that. The keto diet is fasting from carbs. The vegan diet is fasting from animal products. That's also probably not going to end well for you. Um, I was a raw vegan for quite a while until it made me really sick, like it has millions of other people, just to point that out there. Um, so like, okay, it just means that you, in fact, eating healthier means fasting from junk food. That's all fasting is. It's, I decided to go without something that my body thought I needed. And I tell you, when you quit junk food, you're going to crave that stuff like, like a lot for about three days because it has stuff in it that directly causes cravings. And after three days, when you figure out what those craving inducing things are, you cut those out. Like, oh, like I, I'm much calmer. I'm better off than I was before. And that's there the, that's the mindset you want to get. Dig it. There's, I have, I loved reading this too. And that, uh, why calories in calories out doesn't work. I mean, that's, that's a myth that myself and many people have bought into for an awful long time. Uh, tell us about your experiment with that to prove that this doesn't work. <laughs> well, I believed really strongly in the calories thing. So when I was in my twenties, I said, all right, 
this 300 pounds is unacceptable. I'm going to work out six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio. I'm going to eat a low fat, low calorie diet. And I'm going to do it even if I'm tired, even if it's finals, it doesn't matter. Most important priority in my life is I'm going to go to the gym. So after 18 months, I still had a 46 inch waist and I still weighed 300 pounds. I could max out all but two of the machines at the gym. So I was strong, but I did not lose any weight. And I was so frustrated and I was having the the chicken salad with no chicken and no dressing at the fast food place with my friends were eating French fries and cheeseburgers. And I just thought to myself, wait a minute, I work out more than all my friends combined. And I eat less than any of them, and I'm twice as tall as most of them. Um, maybe it's not me. <laughs> you know, Maybe it's not that I had too much lettuce. Uh, maybe it just doesn't work. And I realized later as I started working on different diets and trying things out, I had just been misled. About 10% of how you look is your exercise. The rest of it is what you put on your plate. And to show, before I published the Bulletproof Diet, I did a lot of experimenting, years of this, working as an anti-aging nonprofit uh, chairman and meeting all the people in the field and really going deep on the biology. And I said, all right, I'm fully convinced that calories are a joke. This just isn't how the human body works. So I went on a special diet to prove it to myself in my very tiny blog. I ate 4,500 plus calories a day. I cut my sleep to less than five hours, no matter what, and I stopped exercising. Now I was going to do this for a month and I was going to gain three pounds. And then I was going to say, according to calories math, I should have gained 20 pounds. Guys, something's wrong in the equation here. What happened was I actually lost weight and uh, I did it for about six months plus. Not good to eat more calories than you need, but the fact that I could lose and then maintain weight on a stupidly high amount of calories was just an example, an extreme example that the calories thing doesn't work. And on the flip side, you know, I had beaten myself up. I'd felt moral failing, you know, shame, all these things, because if only I could eat less calories. All the studies show that when you eat less calories, you're hungrier and you become more food seeking and the amount of pressure to eat goes up and up and up. And no one can withstand that pressure for long periods of time. It is a brutal existence. Uh, in fact, it drives people nuts and they've done studies where that actually happens. So you don't you don't want to be doing that. It's it's not kind. It's not good for your biology. It creates stress uh, and it's it's a bad situation. But in animals. When you're, re when you're eating an industrial cow, say something that's raised the way they raise commercial beef now, they buy a little pellet of something called xeranol. And it's a, a mold toxin, like the kind that was in my bedroom when I was a kid, called xeralinone. They concentrate it and put it in a little waxy pellet and they put it in the cow's ear. This is just like antibiotics. Little capsule of antibiotics can have a big effect on your body, except this is a xenoestrogen. It's a thousand times stronger than the estrogen that's in our bodies normally. And when they put it in the cow, the cow will get fat on 30% less calories. They, they actually measure this for all foods. It's called feed efficiency. Now, I would just say if a calorie was a calorie, how is it that a little thing in a cow's ear can make calories 30% more powerful? If that is possible, calories are a joke as a way to measure weight loss. And it turns out 50% of the calories that you expend are not through exercise, it's through breathing and body temperature and basic stuff that you don't even have control over. 4,500 calories, what did you eat to get you to 4,500 well, calories? I ate the Bulletproof diet and I was practicing intermittent fasting because I was having Bulletproof coffee in the morning, but I was putting in way more butter than made any sense. <laughs> 
And every meal was you know, steak and a ton of veggies. I was eating all of the bulletproof diet principles. I wasn't eating, you know, tons of carbs and things like that. It was mostly mostly keto, but cyclical keto. Um, so I was just spiking my food with fat to get my calories up that much, and just eating more than I wanted at every meal. So lots of grass-fed meat, um, eggs, uh, coffee, um, little bit of rice. Uh, on occasion, but not every day, some sweet potatoes, stuff like that. And I was just like sick of eating by the time I was done with that. I, I didn't want to eat that much, but I'm like, I'm going to prove it to myself. And it is bad for you to overfeed. It actually increases cancer risk. You don't want to do it for long periods of time. But the fact that I could do that <laughs> and lose weight was so unbelievable to me that I'm like, all right, I've tested the edges of the Bulletproof diet um, where uh, I know that it works, and it's been translated into some somewhere slightly less than 20 languages, and it's become a global thing. And people in South America, people in Korea, people in Japan, um, who are just all in on this. And it's in fact, it's really hot right now in the UK. So, uh, and this is going on seven years since I, I came out with that book, and it's still going strong because this. Wow, it's what you eat, not calories. And so we've got to put an end to that. What's new and fast this way is when you eat makes even more of an impact than I talked about in the Bulletproof Diet. If you shift your dinner to be an hour or two earlier, that alone could make you lose weight. So if you eat before it gets dark outside, finish your dinner before six, think about it, you got four hours after dinner before you go to bed, if you go to bed at 10, you sleep eight hours and you wake up at six if you go on a schedule like that, you've just fasted for 12 hours, which is a very basic minimum baby fast, but most people don't eat breakfast at 6 a.m., so then you're like, all right, I'm just not going to eat for a couple more hours. What do you know? You just get a 14-hour fast because you have breakfast at 8 a.m., right? And then you say, oh, hold on. I'm going to be a real stud. I'm going to go till 10 a.m. to have a late breakfast. Right, there you go. You just did a 16-8 fast right there, which is what a lot of the fasting programs say you have to do, although 16 is not a magic number. You can do 17 or 15. It's still good. And you might just say, I'm going to wait till lunch. And you did an 18-hour fast. But all you had to do was say, I'm going to have a late breakfast. Now, if you're like I was when I was heavy, at around 10 a.m., you'd get shaky and, and the muffin would start calling your name in, you know, in, a, in a very serious way. And you might have an argument with the muffin. You might win, but you're going to pay for it. And then you're out of sorts and you go into that hangry, you get cold, you can't focus in a meeting, and you probably yell at people. So that doesn't work and it's not sustainable. And most people will fail at that. And that's why the hacks are in the book. You do that and all of a sudden, oh, I've got this. And you just don't think about food. You've got more energy than you did before, and you just go through till lunch. But here's the difference. Most people listening to this right now, around 11 o'clock, you're saying, man, what are we going to have for lunch? What is that going to be? And you're like thinking about it. Like it, there's a pull. When you turn off hunger the way I'm talking about, especially after you've done it for a week or two, lunch feels like this. Oh, it's noon. I guess I could eat. But if I didn't eat, I'd be fine. I could go a couple more hours. It's not that big of a deal. And then you eat because it fits. That's what hunger is. The other stuff is actually a craving. How much of the story in your head is actually harder than the actual act of this? So most of us have lived our entire lives being excited about what's for lunch or what's for dinner. And, and how many people are like, oh, that's an important part of my life. I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, how much is this internal story affecting that? Well, it's a very big deal because we've been told if we don't have three meals a day, we'll starve. And in our biology, and I write about this in the book, there's this fascinating algorithm that keeps all animals and all even bacteria alive. And it is actually run inside the bacteria that are the power plants, the mitochondria in our body. And it goes like this. 
and this, keep in mind, if you're a bacteria, you have no brain, you have just a few things you can do uh, and you have to do them repeatedly, otherwise your species will die out. So all life does this, whether it's single-celled or a tree or you know an animal. Step one, run away from kill or hide from scary things. That's fear, and it's the first of the F words, and it gets 10 times more focus than you need. Like, like if something's scary, it takes everything away from all your other rational thought, and like that's front and center. The second thing that all life has to do is eat everything, because famines have killed a lot of us. So we have fear, then we have feeding. Right, and so if fear is a 10x, feeding is a 5x. There's a third thing that all life has to do to stay around on the planet all the time. That's also an F word, Nick. Yes. What F word is that? We got it. <laughs> Fertility. That's what you were thinking, right? Yes. Are you blushing? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So yeah, it's fertility, and that gets about three times more attention than it really needs. And it's because the little bacteria who are the puppet masters of your behavior, they don't understand that there's billions of people on the planet and that if you don't reproduce, it doesn't matter. Because from their perspective, it really matters because you might be the last animal on earth. And it's really important they do that. Now, I got to ask you, have you ever done something you're ashamed of that's not coming from one of those three drives? I don't, probably not. I don't know anyone who has. Everything you've procrastinated against, every date that you know you shouldn't have gone on, but you did anyway, every time you ate three pizzas, all of that stuff came from ancient bacterial motivations that are built into your tissues. And the bad news is those mitochondria that drive that, they get to make the decision before you get to think about it. And if you don't believe that, most people have leaned against a hot stove and then you pull your hand away real quick and good thing I pulled my hand away. Except you didn't decide to pull your hand away. Your hand pulled itself away, and then you took credit for it. Well, how many times does that same voice say, eat the donut, and then you eat the donut and you take credit for it? It takes over to keep you alive. And it's fascinating how the biology of that works. So when we talk about fasting, how much of it's in your head, that network of ancient bacteria, they're in your head, but they're in all of the tissues in your body, except your red blood cells, surprisingly. So they're everywhere, and they're watching the environment. Is there food? Is there light? Is it cold? Is it warm? Is there a threat? And they're doing their best to make energy, neurotransmitters, and hormones that are going to make you most likely to survive as if you weren't in there. And fasting, man, it pushes their buttons big time until you train them. To just, you know what, guys, you're going to have to deal with the fact that sometimes I don't have breakfast. And then they, they whine about it a little bit, which you feel as hunger and anxiety maybe. And they go, all right, fine. We will take all the weak mitochondria that we're relying on regular sugar infusions and we will kill them. And we will grow young, fresh, new ones who can digest fat and can make more energy and are more resilient. And because they're not just environmental sensors, but they're power plants, you just upgraded your power production permanently. And when you do the things I talk about and fast this way, even for a few months with the fasting hacks, you have biological resilience. You can make better use of air and food for everything you do, including your immune function, including fighting pre-cancer cells, including showing up in your life in a way that you wanted to instead of acting you know, like you wish you hadn't acted in your last board meeting or last meeting with your boss or last time your kids yelled at you, whatever the stressor was. So this is about telling your body you better be able to, to turn on power on demand in a new way. And the voice in your head, though, it's coming from there. In the book, Fastest Way, again, everyone check out the book. It's it's brand new, and you're going to love it. This is just some of the info that's in that book. Um, you talk about the stages of fasting, stage one being a 16-8 intermittent fast, which is 16 hours, 
not eating, eight hours eating. Could you walk us through those different stages so people know where to begin? Sure. If you start with uh, the basic 16-8 fast, that's where most of the benefits of fasting kick in at 16 hours. However, if you're just getting started, 12 hours has some benefits. It's much better than eating, you know, going eight hours without food. 12 hours is better, and you can work your way up to 16 if you need to. And you get additional benefits when you go beyond 24 hours. And 24 hours sounds really big, but think about it like this. You have dinner. You, you weren't going to eat after dinner anyway. And you go to bed. You wake up. Okay, you're already 12 hours into your fast now. And then you say, I'm going to skip breakfast. And then lunchtime comes. You go, oh, wait, I'll wait till dinner. There, you did a 24-hour fast. It's not nearly, you literally skip two meals, right? And if instead of like, oh, my God, a whole day, no meals, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to drink some coffee. Even if it's just black coffee, you'll be fine. And if you put the other stuff in there, even better. You just won't even care. It's just not that big of a deal. And your body says, oh, wait, I'm going to have to do that. You get stronger and stronger over time when you do it that way. And then eventually you get to the point where I did yesterday a 24-hour fast, uh, and I only had black coffee because I didn't have time to mix any of the bulletproof stuff in. I, it just didn't matter. I was too busy on interviews. Right? Where no decline in mental performance, no coldness, no tired, no hangry, no nothing. It just, it's just normal. And it's kind of liberating to have that, that much power. So 24 hours is where there's one uh, one level. And then when you get into longer fast, like 36 hours, you go, how could I ever do that? Well, it's easy. You skipped breakfast and lunch. And then at dinner time, you're like, you know what? If I just skip this one meal, and then you go to sleep and you get another 12 hours and there's your 36 hour fast. So it's easy to kind of trick yourself into it. And of the, the 30, 30 something thousand people who are doing the fasting training with me right now, we just did a spiritual fast over a weekend where a lot of people went 48 hours without food. And this is a time that when you're going to longer fast like that, where you want to get out a journal, you want to not have kids jumping up and down on you and a spouse, you know, eating pasta in front of you. Like this is a time of, of rest and reflection. And it, the difference between a working fast and a spiritual fast is, is real. And there are people who are well-trained on fasting. Okay, I'm going to work you know, through my four or five day fast, you can do it. I just don't recommend you start doing that. And a lot of people will never fast for four days and that's fine. But when you get up past 48 hours, you're definitely in longer fasting land and you get more and more autophagy and growth hormone. Most people can fast really well for several days at home. If you're going to do a water only fast and you're going to do it for a longer period of time, I recommend medical supervision. There's some people don't do it, but generally speaking, that's pretty extreme, especially when it comes to managing your levels of salt and, and whatnot. But what I'm talking about in fast this way primarily is how do you start a regular practice of intermittent fasting that will work for decades and will never break you? And from there, longer fasts become effortless because you got the resilience from the shorter fasts. Now, the regularity of that. So for someone starting out again, you're saying like a lifelong practice. Is that, again, if I'm trying to get my head around, is that something I do once a week, twice a month? I mean, like, what does that look like? Intermittent fasting, you skip breakfast most of the time, at least three days a week. Um, most people work up to five days a week. And then on weekends, you have some breakfast. But uh, you don't want to be having breakfast most mornings. And what you'll find after you do this only for two weeks is that you don't want breakfast anymore. Because you realize every time I have breakfast, my morning is slower and hungrier and I'm groggier. But if I don't have breakfast, I'm just on fire. And you kind of look forward to it. And you know, the idea for me of having breakfast, the vast majority of the time, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. But if I'm super jet lagged or if I lifted really heavy the day before and I wake up and I'm like, well, I'm actually hungry, I'll have breakfast. 
right? And that doesn't mean I did anything good or bad. It was just, okay, my body actually wanted extra protein and it was time for it. And then the next day I intermittent fast. So the idea is, you know, how many days a week? There is no rule, Nick. <laughs> it's how recovered am I right now? Think of fasting like exercise, and it is like exercise. It's a stressor, a hormetic stressor on the body. People say, how many days a week should I lift heavy? It depends. How stressed are you? Because it drives me nuts when I see these type A entrepreneurs like you and me, like, okay, I'm going to fly around the world. I'm going to launch three companies, and I'm going to do an Ironman, and I'm going to work out every morning. And there's a name for that. It's called burnout, right? <laughs> so you do a longer fast when you have more energy, and you do a shorter fast when you're already dealing with enough other stuff. Got it. Just you have to learn how to make it a part of your life. Um, fast for better sleep, sleep for better fast. Tell us about that idea. This is also new information in the world of fasting. And in the last oh, 10 years or so of biohacking, we've learned so much about circadian biology. Nobel Prizes have been awarded in the last 10 years uh, for understanding how our bodies set their timing system. And this all goes back to 2 billion years ago. We were some kind of a cell, and there were these ancient mitochondria bacteria. And then we tell ourselves, oh, we harnessed them. We, we, we inserted them into our, our cells and harnessed them to be our power plants. Now, from their little perspective, they're like, we found a mobile Petri dish. We moved in, and we're still in charge. Okay, one of those two stories is true. I think they're more in charge than we like to think. But here's how mitochondria set their time. At night, it's cold, and there's no food because they ate algae. So they're floating in the ocean, and let's see, sunset comes, red light, gets cold, there's no food because there's no sun to feed the algae. So then they drop down in the water and they basically rest and recover. And then red light comes in sunrise, and then the water warms up. And as the red light gets brighter and you get more and more sunlight, it's less red, more blue, they come up. Right around between noon and 2 p.m. is when there's the most bright sunlight and the most food available. And this happens every day. So your body sets the timing of just about every cell in there based on a combination in this order of light, food, and temperature. What this means is that if you eat around noon or 2 p.m., that is actually the best time if you're going to eat once one meal a day. But for our lifestyles, if you eat at 5 o'clock, that's just fine too. But when you stack light exposure and the timing of your fast, you can become a morning person. And I did that. I've been the kind of guy, my average bedtime for the last 15 years of tracking my sleep was 2.04 a.m. I read my books in the middle of the night. I love the quiet time. That's when all the magic happens for me. I've been like that since I was 10. By using this combination of light and food, uh, it's a lot more convenient to drop my kids off at school at you know, 7.25 in the morning when I wake up naturally earlier. So now I'm a morning person because of what I wrote about in the book. And it's a combination of managing light exposure at night. If you're getting bright lights at night, even if you fast earlier in the day, it's not enough. you got to do both. But when you do both, I tell you how to get over jet lag, how to shift your circadian window earlier so you wake up early. Or if you're one of those poor people who has to go to bed at 8 o'clock because you can't stay awake, what do you do with light and food in combination in order to be able to stay up till 10 like normal people? So you, you have control of this, but you got to stack both of those things. And I also talk about True Dark, which is one of the companies I started around circadian biology that makes glasses that control the type of light that enters your eyes at night that makes you think it's awake. Just like with food, you have um, different, you have 
carbs and there's different kinds of carbs that do different things. Different fats do different things. Different proteins do different things. So you, you pick the things that give you the results you want. Light is like a menu of spectrums. And when you cut out certain spectrums, then you're like, oh, different things happen. So these are nutrients you're getting you're getting into the body. And I look at, uh, I look very much at light like I do food and saying, hey, what kind of light do I want to expose myself to right now? And if you're going to be up at midnight staring at a bright screen with the lights on around you, you should expect to get terrible sleep. And what terrible sleep does, it drives cravings. You're unable to actually use your blood sugar the next morning, almost like you're diabetic. And that's because those little things trying to figure out, hey, we should all think it's nighttime so we can all rest at the same time. At the same time, the body rests, and then we can all wake up at the same time. So if you align your wake up and sleep cycle, man, you get a lot more energy that way. David, we have a question from my friend Christian who's watching live. He said, I've seen a lot of juice cleanses slash diets on prepping you for fasting. They talk about cleansing the gut so you can lose weight, et cetera. Any comments on that? Well, most of the juice cleanses are not fasts. They're giving you a ton of sugar, and somehow this is supposed to be good for you. I do not think there is great science behind that. Uh, it just doesn't appear to be a great idea. What you can do during a fast, though, is you can take something called activated charcoal. And I write about this in the book. This has been used for thousands of years around the world. And when you fast or when you just have bad bacteria in your gut, they make an inflammatory compound that gives you muffin top and it gives you muffin top in the brain. And it's called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. So when you don't eat, especially when you're used to eating junk food, these bacteria in your gut freak out and they get stressed. Since they can't run away from or hide from anything, when they get stressed, they just make more toxins. That's how they fight. Those toxins go and they cause brain fog and food cravings for you. Activated charcoal sticks to those toxins. So fasting itself is cleansing, even the way I talk about it with the hacks. But you take activated charcoal, so when the bacteria try to sabotage you, you catch it and it doesn't affect you. Got it. And all, all these things you're talking about, you can get on your website, right? I mean, because I don't know where to find com. But yep. here's the thing. I don't write books to sell Bulletproof products. I mention them in there. I, I make products that I can't buy somewhere else. The reason activated charcoal and collagen, MCT oil, and clean coffee exist as categories in the industry is because of the work that I've done over the last 10 years. Because people have recognized they work. So, yeah, Bulletproof.com, the, the prebiotic fiber is called Inner Fuel. And the MCT oil is called Brain Octane. And there's reasons those are different than the generics on the market. But look, I tell you all the ingredients. I tell you, look, do what you want to do. I found what works best, and I dialed it in. But it's it's okay. You know, if you're drinking uh, moldy coffee and all you have is coconut oil, it's not going to do the same thing. But it'll be better than what you do today. And perfection is not required. Uh, so I'd say, you know, give it a try and see what works. Got it. Well, I, I am uh, encouraging you to say bulletproof.com and sending people there because you have done the work most of us have not done. So it's a safe place to go. Once you do the reading, make sure, of course, all the disclaimers, you're medically healthy, check with your doctors, all the stuff you're supposed to do before you do some of yep. these things. Uh, make sure you are healthy. Um, the uh, We have one more question. I, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, Katya is asking, she said she's been living this lifestyle for three years and loving it. Um, thanks for Bulletproof. Uh, what's your take on dry fasting? Dry fasting is really interesting. And this is the idea of going up to three days, which is pretty extreme, with no food and no water. And this creates a much larger stress on the cells. It also tends to cause the cells to excrete some toxins, increases autophagy even more um, at the cost of stress. You're not going to feel very good when you do it. I've seen some really powerful results from people who practice it. Most doctors don't recommend it. It may increase kidney stress. In fact, it almost certainly does. 
But when you rehydrate with really clean water, it's probably cleaning some stuff out of the cells. So it, it is of benefit, but it is relatively extreme and it has more medical risks than a water only fast or an assisted fast the way I talk about. Perfect. All right. A couple more things. You also talk, I love how you talk about uh, exercise and body image in the book because most people would fast to get that, uh, that Hollywood muscle and fitness cover model body. And, and you really point out that this is like, not this is not a, a thing to strive for. This is probably an unhealthy way to live. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I've had a few Hollywood celebrities you've seen with their shirts off work with me before their shirts off scenes. And these are guys who are are bulletproof on a regular basis. In fact, a lot of the ripped and treaded guys are um, on the bulletproof diet and women. But before they have a shirts off scene, they take diuretics. They fast for a couple of days and they take diuretics, which cause your body to shed extra water. So you see that, you know, incredibly chiseled, lean, ripped, you know, just just what the heck's going on there, bodybuilder physique. They feel like garbage when they do it and they dread those scenes. They're like, oh, I'm just gonna, I just have to do this. I'm gonna get to go eat. Same thing with fitness competitors. I've seen, especially female fitness competitors, so many of them, like, I broke my biology. I have a thyroid problem now. I never looked so good in my life, and I never felt so bad. So the idea of looking like an animal who's been hunted for a couple of weeks, <laughs> it looks pretty hot. However, it doesn't feel good, and it's not sustainable. Uh, so if that's if that's your idea, you are asking yourself to feel like crap all the time so you can look good. Uh, and I think yeah. I talk about when I went into Men's Health magazine and in, in there, I, I'm guessing I told that story in the book. I can't remember off the top of my head. So I'm a former 300-pound computer hacker. Okay, the least likely thing ever to happen to me is to be in Men's Health, especially with my shirt off. I still have stretch marks when I was fat. So Men's Health is doing a big piece on my company called Upgrade Labs, uh, where we have all the recovery technologies around biohacking in Beverly Hills and in Santa Monica and soon up here in Victoria, B.C., and it's it created a new industry category on this biohacking thing. And it, it's been so much fun to do that. So they came and they sent a camera crew. And if men's health is going to do a shirts off scene, they tell you ahead of time. And the photographer is like, all right, take your shirt off. It's going to look great in your cryotherapy machine. And I'm like, what the F, man? Like, I know the game, right? And I didn't take diuretics. I didn't do all this fasting stuff. I'm just looking like I do every day. And he's like, just trust me, and we'll we'll try it, and we'll see what happens. And all right, so I don't think I have a lot of body image issues left. It took me a long time to realize that I could see my ribs because I never could when I was young. But I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take a deep breath. I'm gonna do it. And they said, look, if you don't like the pictures, we won't publish them. So there's a picture, a full page picture of me in men's health with my shirt off, um, and you can like still see the stretch marks, but you can see the abs. And like that was not a fake photo, but the vast majority of what you see are. And if you look at that, I do not look like Wolverine, right? But I look pretty damn good, right? And that's where you can get with intermittent fasting. That's where you can get with things like the Bulletproof Diet, where you're eating carbs. You're not eating carbs all the time. You have to be keto all the time. But for women saying, look, I want to get that that six-pack abs, that is a very, very low body fat that makes abs, not more crunches. And if you have that low of body fat, you're going to be physiologically stressed. We have enough physiological stress. We're socially isolated. There's financial stress. You know, everyone's wearing masks. You can't even see if they're smiling at you. So we have more stress than we normally do. You don't need the stress of the hunted animal, but you want to feel good and you want to look good in your pants. And you can do that with intermittent fasting, even if you don't eat perfectly. 
Uh, got it. Uh, one of the things, uh, probably my favorite thing from the book, and again, the book is fast this way for those of you just joining us. You need to check it out. Buy it for all of your friends and family. Buy it now for Christmas for everyone you can think of. Like, do, do the good work and buy it and share it. Uh, my favorite thing you say is we should also fast from hate. This is a very yeah. good idea. Give us a little bit about sort of the way our minds are at now with social media and everything coming at us and, and this concept. If fasting is truly just going without, well, one of the reasons that we keep thinking negative thoughts about ourselves, about other people, about other things, and they run through our heads over and over and over, is that's just our fear response trying to keep us safe. Like, is that is that dangerous? Is that dangerous? Is that dangerous? And we're wired to do that. So if you can fast from food, despite the hunger voice in your head, you can also say for the next two hours or four hours, you can do it in conjunction with fasting from food if you want to, say, I'm going to fast from hate. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do, I'm going to not read news because that'll turn on bad thoughts almost instantly, probably get off social media and just sit there and be like, all right, can I go a few hours without thinking a bad thought about myself, about another person or about another thing? And most people, it is the most challenging fast you can do. It's way harder than skipping breakfast. And that's the sort of thing that I'm leading people through on the on the fasting challenge and fasting training that I'm doing right now. Uh, on And by the way, it's, it's free. Fastthisway.com is where you go to sign up for that. And what you find is, wow, you can clear your mind. You can do that. And if you do it on a regular basis, you become more aware of when those thoughts are popping up and then you can manage them better. It's the same thing if you skip breakfast on a regular basis, when you feel intense hunger that's abnormal, you're like, oh, well, that's weird. I wonder what I did to cause that. Well, when you go a brief period of time without thinking bad stuff about other people, when you do think bad stuff about other people, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Where'd that come from? And it's actually really good at creating a sense of groundedness and even a sense of safety. You're like, wow, how many of those, those voices in my head should I believe? And the answer is way less than you do. Love it. Uh, fastest way, the book bulletproof.com fastest way.com. Check it all out. Dave Asprey. Uh, always great to hang with you. We need to fish again soon. Thank you for your time. And, uh, it's been fun. Nick. Thanks brother. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person and uh, doing it up in Alaska where uh, there's lots of wind and we won't be wearing masks cause there'll be lots of air. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Take care. Thanks for joining us. See you guys next time on that. next. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.